quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Greetings. You're listening to the podcast. So there I was. That's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 68. Do you remember the title of this one, Fig? As a matter of fact, I do. Oh, you want me to say it? Yeah, if you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm a caveman lawyer. I don't lie for free. <laughs> right on. Exactly. I think this may be our first attorney slash pilot. Uh, no. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, Do we have another attorney yet? Well, he was an attorney at the time, but he became an attorney oh, after that's Vietnam. Right. That's right. Gunny. Hey, Gunny I wasn't was the son good. of a bitch at the time. <laughs> <laughs> the marital status of your parents was never in question. So there yeah. he is here with us. That's Deuce. Sponsor for this week episode is HelloFresh slash 50. So there I was dot US. We'll talk more about that during the show. But if you use 50, so there I was dot US. As your code, you'll get 50% off your first meals and free shipping. Really cool deal. But we had some great, great stories, including how he went from attorney to suspect almost instantly one night. Yeah, that's a good story. (laughs) That is a really good story. Deuce, what were you thinking? You know, sometimes you just need to break into your house with a three-pound sledgehammer and a Hello Kitty umbrella. What? Don't you do that? <laughs> Not that I'm willing to admit to in public. <laughs> it's, it's a good story. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Sticks and Deuce flew together in the uh, Coast Guard, so they were here to bounce things off each other. Hey, you know where you learn how to fly helicopters? Bob's Helicopter School, Long Beach, Mississippi. Right. Another great story. Bob's Roadside Helicopter. Right, Bob's Roadside <laughs> Helicopter. Uh, Oh, you've never been to ground school until you've done it as a drive-thru. <laughs> right? So down in Louisiana, Mississippi, they have they have drive-thru beer barns, but uh, I guess they have drive-thru helicopter schools as well. Listen, so. folks, this is a preview of uh, what kind of an ab workout this interview is. This is be. how it went. Yeah. Yeah. We have to thank two new Patreon sponsors. First of all, we thanked him last week, but we didn't get the honors in. It was Steve Bates. His son is Lieutenant Tom Bates, who's a first assignment instructor pilot at Randolph. And his father recently passed, was a Korean War vet. Uh, He was with the United States Air Force 47th Bombardment Wing. His name was Staff Sergeant Rick Bates. So thank you to your service, and uh, we honor that, sir. Yes, thank you so much. You're here. Indeed. So thank you also to Patrick McLight, who is a new Patreon pilot sponsor. And a quick reminder, we've got a merch store. So there I was at US slash merch. We've got a glossary. If you have any questions of all the acronyms that we bounce off of you during the show, go there. If it isn't there, write to us and we'll get it on there. Please share the show. Put it up on Facebook. Put it up on Twitter. Put it up on LinkedIn. Anywhere that you have fun with friends, put our show up there. Please. Share the show. Share the damn show. That's Share all we're show. asking. Come on. And while you're doing that, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It, it doesn't take that long. And if you want to give us a four-star rating, give us the extra star. Tell us what we did wrong, and we'll make it better next week. We promise. Yeah. We promise. Yeah. <laughs> better looking hosts. <laughs> all I have to do is put that gauze filter on my screen, and I'll be good. <laughs> hey, it is an audio podcast. We are gorgeous. We look marvelous. <laughs> I got faces right. for radio, that's for sure. <laughs> let, let it rip. 
Let her rip. Hey, these guys look a lot better with an oxygen mask on. There you go. <laughs> One last thing. We want questions. If you have questions about getting into flying aviation or anything like that, please send them to sticks at so there I was dot us. And if you send them to repeat at so there I was dot us or fig at so there I was dot us, we're going to forward him to sticks and he'll answer. <laughs> That's how we roll. Okay, let's get out of the way. What do you say till next week? Don't let go of the collect. Don't let go. This here's a true story. Do it. About crossing the pond. And whatever else you do, don't night. sit on the collective. In the here comes the smallest guys. cockpit. On the tanker. Through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was, expecting the pilot-controlled lighting to come on, and no, not so much. Styx and I were trying to pick up my mom, so it's a long story. My mom had broken her foot, and she was depressed, and she's 200 miles from her only son who's in North America. And I said, I just joined the flying club. I gotten checked out in all the planes. I said, Mom, I'm going to come get you. We're going to bring you up, see your grandbabies. It's going to be great call sticks i say sticks have i got a mission for you we jump in the plane this is in the height of dc flight control restriction madness and so we are in a civilian aircraft we are it's of course nighttime because all great aviation stories what happen at night wrong? what could possibly go wrong what there's, could go uh, wrong there's 10 inches of snow on the ground which for a uh, new englander like sticks is nothing but in dc it's like the apocalypse and so we get into the DC flight restricted zone. We're going to Tipton Airport, which is right between Baltimore and DC. Um, so no screwing around. Air traffic control is like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing? Where, you know, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Tipton. Hey, where are you doing? Uh, and we're clicking the pilot controlled lighting and it won't come on. Now, my mother in law has picked up my mother. They are standing outside the field like Russian spies trying to escape during the Cold War. We can't get the lights to come on. So we have a brief conference as we're in a, you know, orbiting the field. And we're like, well, what we're going to do is we buzz the, the, the runway at like, I don't know, 50, 100 feet, slow speed, just to drive all the deer away. And then we'll come in and land. Short, short field landing. Pick up my, and we, we pick up my mom, we take off, we're flying back to Atlantic City. It is an absolutely 100% gorgeous night. It is just crystal. You can see the lights of Atlantic City from 100 miles away. And my mom says, the airport seemed kind of dark, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no shit, mom. I didn't do it. <laughs> Wasn't me. I've checked the statute of limitations on the FAA regs. We're good. Yeah, now we're good. So what kind of plane was that? Piper Cherokee Arrow, and it was fancy because it had GPS. This would have been like <laughs> 2005. It was a little four-seater, awesome. about four well, hours of gas. Well, that oh. is how all great aviation tales begin. You're trying to get the lights on. Your mother-in-law is <laughs> there with your mother. It couldn't get any worse. Greetings, everyone. Repeat here, coming to you from New Hampshire tonight. We've got not one, but count them two special guests. Two, I love to say it, 
Mud Ducks. Two Coast Guard <laughs> pilots with us tonight. <laughs> and, of course, my co-host, Fig. Where are you tonight, sir? Well, sir, I'm home for a few more hours in beautiful Kearney, Missouri. Nice. Before I go slip the slurly bonds. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay for all this shit. <laughs> well, I guess you can't get your wife to go to work, so you're going to have to do it. She's threatening to retire or something like that. So, oh, God. Yeah, I don't that's just not fair. I know. It's not right. <laughs> yeah. All Does right. she really want to increase the amount of time she spends with you? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I think she's got ulterior motives. But welcome to So There I Was, Deuce! Deuce! Howdy, howdy! Nice to have you, sir. Yeah, I teased it Did as we... uh, Coast Guard pilot, attorney, and suspect. So we'll get into that story <laughs> later yeah. as well. <laughs> For the so, record, but... it was my house. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Go suspect. with that. He's sticking with that. He's, that's his story, and he's stuck with it. That's all I can say. So, yeah. Oh, no. no, really, so, I'm an attorney. <laughs> yeah. So my question is... Uh, what were you thinking? How did you get interested in aviation? And that really isn't how you got into the Coast Guard, though. So you can go in that path, yeah, too. No, it's a good so, story. Um, yeah, I've listened to a couple of your shows, and it's a, there are a lot of people who are like, well, I was eight years old, and a barnstormer came by, and I got to fly with the barnstormer, and that was it. I wanted to do that. Or I was 12 years old, and I decided the Naval Academy. You know, I wanted to be, yeah, I... Uh, I graduated law school in 1999 and joined the Coast Guard because I'd done a bunch of different internships with a bunch of lawyers who hated their lives, except for an internship with the Coast Guard, where I met half a dozen just fantastic people who loved their jobs and cared about me, which was also unusual for an internship. So I applied to be a direct commission lawyer. If you remember that show, uh, Jag? Yeah. Right, Kristen right, Bell. right. Yeah. Kristen Bell and whatever that uh, sexy pilot dude's name and Bud. Yeah. Well, I was Bud. I was the direct commission, <laughs> like, <laughs> tripping over his feet. You know, you're all standing around the elevator because the junior guy is supposed to get on first and the junior guy doesn't know he's the junior guy. Yeah, that was me. So I did that. But the weird thing about Coast Guard lawyers, like Marine lawyers, there's a couple of uh, couple of Marines in the, in the crowd here. Yeah. Um, Coast Guard lawyers are regular line officers like – and Coast Guard Marine lawyers – here's a phrase you don't hear often. Coasties and Marine lawyers are similar in this way. They're both regular line officers. The Army and the Navy and the Air Force all have separate JAG corps, which are almost like separate services. They're, they're like micro-armies where you compete for promotion with other lawyers and you compete for lawyer jobs. Coast Guard lawyers are – they compete with other every other officer. And so the big career advice that everybody says is – Get out of specialty. Do a non-lawyer tour. Get out of specialty. Go to marine safety. Get underway if you can. Go do something. Well, um, it turns out, you might not be aware of this, being a junior officer doesn't pay very well. What? No. So, I, I know, I know. Fig just dropped his monocle into his tea. Wow. <laughs> so, um, what they do in the Coast Guard is they bring you in, and all the services bring you in at the O3 level so that you get a little more money. Whether that's a good idea or not is a debate for a different day because you got more on your shoulders than you got in your head. But they bring you in as a lieutenant. But what the Coast Guard figured out about 1996 is we could bring these guys in as O2s, as lieutenants junior grade. I don't know what the Marines call them, like bookshelf. First lieutenant. First, first lieutenant. First lieutenant, right. Yeah. And so they could bring you in as a, as a first lieutenant, first Louis, and 
they saved $300 a month because they don't have to pay you as much. So they brought me in as a JG, as Lieutenant Junior Grade, as an O2. But as a JG, a message came out saying, hey, we're looking for O1s and O2s to apply for flight school. There's a lot of stuff I suck at in the world, but I'm a really good standardized test taker. So I take the aviation selection <laughs> test battery. I get the prep book. I crush it. I'm in reasonably good health. They're like, oh, I guess we're going to send you to flight school. Turns out $300 a month takes a long time to pay down when you spend $2 million sending one jackass to flight school. <laughs> Weird. Weird. Yeah. So, Okay, the my, Coast Guard so my, accountants are having a trouble keeping up here. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't so I, think of I, that. I put my package in, and my boss calls me into his office and says, uh, and yeah, my boss is a lawyer. He goes, you can't do this. You're a reservist. Because I, I didn't go to the academy, you get a reserve commission and a contract right. to be on active right. duty. Yeah. And I say, well, actually, sir, here's the reference that says reservists on extended active duty are regular active duty officers. You treat them just the same. Well, you can't do this. You're a lawyer. And I said, well, actually, in the Coast Guard and the Marines are regular line officers just like, and this would be being a jerk for anybody else, but he's a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. If you can't support your position, you shouldn't be a lawyer. So I go through all that. And at the end of about three or four of these, he goes, oh, son of a bitch, I guess you can go. So I was supposed to be on a four-year contract. I get to direct commission officer school, knife and fork school. I'm the, the Marines in the audience who have been to... How long is Marine OCS? Like 12 years? Yeah. Yeah. It only seems then, like it. it and then the basic like school, years, five weeks, five weeks. And on Tuesday of the first week, maybe it was Wednesday, we get our first set of uniforms and we're wearing shoulder boards. We're at the Coast Guard Academy. I made it a policy not to be outside between 745 and 0800 because all the cadets would come by and I was getting tennis elbow. Yeah. Like absolutely. from the salutists. Right. So barely an officer five weeks into it. Um, but they bring out the contract. Say, here's your contract, sign your contract. And I say, this is supposed to be a four year contract. And he says, yeah. I say, well, this is a two year contract. He says, it's a two year contract that automatically extends when we get your bar results. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's a two year contract. I'm reading it. He goes, no, no, no. It's a four year contract. I go, look, dude, I don't know the coast guard, but I just went to law school. Like, I'm pretty sure this is a two-year contract. I can read a contract. Right. So two years into it, they're like, well, you're on a four-year contract. You can't go. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so their choices were, let me go to flight school, or I could walk out the door, walk into the recruiter's office, and say, hey, I've already been accepted to flight school. Can I get a commission? Um, so there I was in Pensacola, um, wow. you know, learning how to fly. Outstanding. Talking your way into flight what, school. Hold on, Deuce. What year was that? 2001. I was an oh. API on September 11th, 2001. Holy shit. Uh, okay. API stands for? Uh, aviation pre-flight indoctrination. A Thank couple you. of weeks of yeah. like academics. And I listened to Stick's, um, Stick's episode and he said, oh, I slept through it because I'd had engineering and I'd had this and I'd had that. <laughs> I'm the opposite of that. But... I did just finish law school, so my tolerance for hitting the books really high. And we've all been to Navy training; it's not that complicated. Like, <laughs> no. right? Page one: the objectives of this section are understand the three different, you know, types of whatever. Page two: the three different types of whatever are one, two, three. Page three: quiz: what are the three types of whatever? Like, deuce, deuce. <laughs> You've done this. You, 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 uh, you used you said something, and I just want to make sure that we get it. We get it correct. Mm. Uh, when you were talking about ways to uh, uh, 
uh, do your non your non lawyer. Well, I don't forget what you called it. Out of specialty. Out of specialty. specialty. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the ways uh, you said was get underway. What? Correct. I I know what that means. We all know what that means. But tell tell, uh, the non aviators and non maritime maritime people what get underway means. So get a job on a cutter, on a Coast Guard cutter. Get out of the office and get underway on a ship. Um, the, the Coast Guard's heart and soul is the cutter community. And it's uh, – um, so getting out there. Now, and the danger with lawyers is we bring you in so senior that by the time you're up for that tour, you're almost too senior to train, right? The Coast okay. Guard pushes – responsibility down to a really low level. There are um, lieutenants and JGs in charge of significant stuff. Um, And uh, so as a lieutenant, as a senior lieutenant lawyer, if you go to a... Which is your third rank as an officer for those who don't know the Coast Guard Navy ranks. Uh, 03, what what the DIRT services would call a captain, right? Um, As an 03, as a senior 03, let me put it this way. I I got underway when I was at the air station. When I was flying, I deployed on the back of a 270. One of the many awesome things about the Coast Guard, guess how long a 270 is? 270 feet. I'm going to say 269 feet, 12 inches. (laughs) 12 inches, exactly. (laughs) So we get underway. I am, at that point, I'm a senior lieutenant. I am the fourth most senior person on the boat. It's the captain, the XO, the other pilot ops me the engineering officer and then the rest of the wardroom like it's it's a real it's you get real senior real fast so the challenge is to bring a lieutenant in and find a job that they can do with no i mean with really (laughs) no experience like i didn't go to the academy i didn't go to king's point i went to the i'm a university of maryland graduate like so are you still saying are you still saying pointy in and square in and left and right and really screwing them on (laughs) I try not to do that. Yes. <laughs> You're a lieutenant. Hey, where's the pointy end of this yeah, thing? Just, <laughs> no, I, uh, oh, I, awesome. um, Kevin just casually, uh, or Deuce just casually faked it in the background, you know? It, yeah, it, absolutely. No, I, um, I, so I've always done very well by asking questions, except for when it bites me in the arse. Like, for example, I go up on the, I think they call it a bridge on the pointy end, square end, white thing. And, I, and I'm standing there and I'm just kind of looking around and I just so what the hell are 11 people doing up here? Like, we're going to go, we're going to fly in an hour and we're going to go farther than you're going to go all day. And it's going to be me and one other dude looking forward and a flight mechanic. Like, why are nine of you here? That's actually not the right question to ask. They're very, the cutter community is very sensitive about that. Um, this, this is probably a good time to say, uh, these opinions are my own and not those of the Coast Guard <laughs> Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh, um, perfect segue. In fact, our, our opinions often diverge, but that's okay. Uh, I'm fairly familiar with the First Amendment, so that should be all right. Be all right. All right. <laughs> Right. Which you give up when you join the Coast Guard. Am I not correct? When you're in the military and in uniform, uh, you lose that First Amendment. But- That's one of those sea lawyer things that people love to talk about. And then you go to mast, and during that break when the captain is like uh, c- contemplating your sentence, his lawyer runs in and goes, sir, you cannot do this. Like, when this becomes a congressional, you are going to lose. And he goes, hmm, I'll find something else to get him for. So, um, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All 
anyway. All right. So you're you're in Pensacola. Then what? Yeah, I'm in Pensacola 9-11, and I remember I called. We were watching it unfold. I, I don't have any 9-11 stories except we're watching it unfold on the TV. And I called my wife from like a landline because it was 2001. She's home with our re- reasonably new baby, our one 18-month-old. And I said, you know, nothing's happening here, but I'm not going home until further notice. And she goes, what happened? And I say, turn on the TV, and I'll call you in an hour. And uh, and that's how that unfolded. Um, wow. Right. So, but then uh, what happened with after nine eleven? Um, yeah, enough about national tragedy. Camera back on me. Um, <laughs> all the airlines. You remember there was a huge slowdown in the aviation industry. Right. All the airlines unhired everybody they'd offered a job to. So yeah. all those coasties, if fixed wing coasties, turned around and unresigned and said, "Hey, officer personnel management, can I stay?" And they're like. Well, we've only got $2 million worth of training in you. Yeah, you can stay. So all those guys unquit. So then this Coast Guard liaison officer realizes he's got more fixed-wing pilots than he needs and not enough helicopter pilots. We're always short on helicopter pilots. My plan was to go fly um, Falcon jets, HU-25, the little – it looks like a business jet. If, yeah. if, if I said uh, picture a Learjet in your brain, you're close enough. Yeah. Was it um, Falcon go 10 fly or Falcons. Falcon 20? I never got that close. All right. <laughs> it, it was a Falcon 10. There we see. <laughs> Sticks remembers these sorts they, of things. They I'm were, just here to they were hangar queens. They Those were just absolutely terrible airplanes. Um, hey, half the time we needed them. them. We needed them for cover. The uh, we can't fly the may not reflect those of the United States government, the U.S. Coast Guard, <laughs> <laughs> or this podcast. <laughs> Continue, so after. Sir. After I got selected for flight school, I started pulling every mishap message, every new mishap message. And all I will say is I have somewhere a file of many, many messages where an, a Falcon, a Coast Guard Falcon had an electrical fire. <laughs> like, I'm not certain that their electronics were powered by AC, DC, or wood-burning uh, stove because those <laughs> things. <laughs> um, anyway, they're so terrible. they're terrible. So my plan was Falcons... And then, I don't know, go do something else. Um, well, I'm so I went to Pensacola. Uh, Sticks, HT-8 or HT-18? HT-18. For me, those are the two helicopter training squadrons in Pensacola, in Whiting Field. Okay. Yeah. And I attended neither of them. <laughs> of course, because you didn't go to OCS in the academy either. You just showed right. up and you were a helicopter pilot, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Where did you go to helicopter school, counselor? Bob's Roadside Helicopter Academy outside of Gulfport, Mississippi. I am making up nothing except the name. The school was awesome, but it was... Oh, where was... Oh, sorry. Long Beach, Mississippi. They called me and they said... I'm getting ahead of myself, Fig. So the captain... 06, Captain, Coast Guard Liaison Officer, best job in aviation, works in a lighthouse and has n- and nothing to do. Um, opinions represent do not represent those of the Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> but if the assignments officer is looking for somebody... No, so, um, best job in Coast Guard aviation, works in a lighthouse, just has like, I don't know, 20 students to supervise, and they all want to be there. So, uh, calls me and says, hey, uh, gets us all together. Sorry, gets us all together and says, if you volunteer for helicopters, we will give you any duty station in the Coast Guard. You step up and say, I'll take helicopters over fixed wing, any duty station you want. And a colleague of mine who shall remain nameless stands up and says, you get me San Francisco and I'm your person. And he says, no. And she says, L.A. 
And he says, no. And she says, anything on the West Coast? And he says, not available. And we all sort of collectively as a group say, when you said any air station, what did you mean? And it turns out he meant Houston, New Orleans, Traverse City, Michigan, Miami, and Atlantic City. I had terrible grades, even among the group of five of us who got involuntary orders. And so I picked second. Uh, my friend uh, Hayes got... Um, Traverse, and I got Atlantic City. I wanted New Orleans, but it turns out I had kids who were going to be entering elementary school, and New Orleans is a wonderful city, but does not have a great reputation for schools. And my uh, wife uh, presciently decided that maybe maybe with the storms coming, uh, New Orleans wasn't a, a good idea in the middle of hurricane season. Uh, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so Wait a um, minute. Wait a minute, Deuce. You, and just to be clear, hang on, I got to interrupt. Just to be clear, one of the cohorts of this very show attended New Orleans public schools <laughs> <laughs> and wound up in the Marines. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't know both his parents. Neither did I. <laughs> so, you know, that's how we end up in the Marines. So, now, so, now, now, their marriage may or went, may not be true. <laughs> dude, she went to Corpus, right? Correct. I winged out of Corpus in the multi engine fixed wing school. Um, so uh, it was. Um, I love Corpus. I love Corpus. Corpus is the best place in the world to have a flight school. I was there for nine months. I landed on a runway other than one, three, exactly one time. Like it is winds out of the Southeast and 20 knots. I don't know about the other three months of the year, but for nine months, winds out of the Southeast at 20 knots. It was the, it's the best place to have a flight school in, in my experience, which is very, I should say also for all the crap I talk, I'm a 1500 hour one tour like, you guys have had legends on here, and I am me. Like, you have no, I have no idea. I'm here to demonstrate to your audience that you don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be Royce Williams to contribute to the security of the United States and maybe help a dude out of a sinking boat. You can be just some dude who stumbled into some shit and is like, oh, I guess we're going to flying today. Um, Where did you go to helicopter training? Where was uh, that? So I went to this little, so... I finish up in Corpus. I go, I report to Atlantic City. Uh, I get a phone call. They said, we're sending you to a private helicopter school for two weeks. Because what they had been doing with people in my pipeline was sending them straight to what we call the T course, what you'd call the RAG, yeah. right? To yeah, learn okay. your individual airframe. But it turns out 65 time is like $6,000 an hour. And teaching a dude to hover for six or 10 hours at $6,000 an hour, not a good use of money. Um, so having already been burned financially by me once, they uh, sent me to Bob's Roadside Helicopter Academy. Uh, it's this little school. In, uh, they, they call me up. They go, we, we need you to travel over Christmas. I go, oh, Christmas, really? I think it was like the day after Christmas I was supposed to leave. And he says, yeah, but you're going to Long Beach. Sweet. Long Beach, Mississippi. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that, I'm getting some. I'm getting feed a little. I am yeah, too. I'm, we're getting I'm, some okay. echo. I'm trying to cancel echoes. <laughs> so I go to Long Beach and it is this, it's a, you know, for a private helicopter school, they've got half a dozen helicopters, Robinson 22s, a helicopter. Now I'm not a big dude. I'm 5'10". At the time I was probably about 200 pounds. We're not discussing uh, any current numbers. Um, <laughs> the Robinson 22 is so small that I had to turn my shoulders sideways to close the door. And when we got both doors closed, it was plexiglass, shirt, meat, shirt, shirt, 
instructors meet shirt plexiglass. Like there was not an air gap. You could have transmitted Morse code by tapping through the entire helicopter. When you're taking half a, half a bag of gas on something with 90 minute legs, like you are maxed out. So, uh, so I went there for two weeks and got 20 hours in the Robinson 22, which is as much fun as you can have like flying. It is absolutely a lawnmower with a really good windscreen. Um, and did that for two weeks and then went back to Atlantic city, uh, then went to the transition course, uh, to learn how to fly 65s. I'm one of the last pilots in the coast, Guard, not the last, but last crop of pilots in the coast guard to qualify in the 65 alpha, uh, the, Atlantic City already had the Bravo. By the time I left, we had the Charlie. And now I think they're up to, what, the Foxtrot or something? Echo? I mean, they've got, like, I think they've got FLIR and a microwave and a rear-facing gun. All kind, I mean, they got all kinds of crazy stuff now. But wow. uh, we didn't have none of that. Uh, back in my day, back in my day, we had manual fuel control. And uh, <laughs> it sucked. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so, so Bob's roadside. So I was talking to the instructor, and I said, to the instructor at the school. And by the way, if you're a military pilot who's never looked at the civilian pilot operator's handbook, do it. And you will realize, oh, these are terrible. Um, so I'm at the school reading the pilot handbook and, and the instructor comes by and he's, I'm talking to him and I say, you know, I mean, you guys are busy. Like you're, you're hopping. You're really moving along. And he says, yeah. I said, well, don't the, don't the locals get mad? I mean, that's all this noise. He goes, well, you know, it's a little Robinson. It's not that loud. Like we shared Atlantic city. We share an airport with F 16s, the ear splitting roar of freedom. Right. Right. Yep. So yeah. it's Robinson 22. Like it's not that loud. And, he's, and I'm, this is a direct quote. I said, besides, if they get mad, they can just put the wheels on their house and move someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's well, fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Long Beach, Mississippi. Um, so then Atlantic, so, uh, but bef before I'd actually gone there, I'm in Atlantic City. I'm flying with, with ops. Um, and uh, the, the ops, when we got there, sticks. Um, and I'm not supposed to be at the controls, right? And that's because cause I'm, I'm unqualified. I'm not supposed to be. I can sit in the front because yeah. it's a single pilot aircraft, but I'm not supposed to be at the controls. But it's ops. Like, you tell him he can't do it. So he says, hey, do you want to fly in the pattern? And I'm coming right out of multi-engine fixed-wing school. So I say, yeah, ab absolutely. Experience is good, and you're here and whatever. Uh, but, you know, like, I wasn't expecting this. What's, what speed do you want in the pattern? Like, what do you want coming over the threshold? And he goes, well, it's a helicopter. You want zero over the numbers. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. Right. <laughs> this is going to be different. This is going to be different. So anyway, uh, Atlantic City, um, the T course, the transition course down in, uh, in Mobile, which was lovely. And, uh, and then 65s uh, in, in Atlantic City. Our AOR went from north of New York to just south of Washington, D.C. Um, and it was... Uh, you you can't New York City. It's a five hundred dollar helicopter tour, probably a thousand dollar helicopter tour now. Um, Spanky's doing it. Spanky and Mako are doing it now. They're doing you know helo flights in in New York City. Um, DC, you can't even buy that flight. Like you can't you can't buy the helicopter tour oh, that we great. would do every other yeah. week uh, for Homeland Security. Just uh, just amazing. Um, I went down there. So I just reported. I just finished T course, and I'm I'm down there, and I'm doing my uh, area familiarization. I've probably met, I don't know, probably 3,000 people in my career in the Coast Guard. 
2,997 of them, just outstanding individuals and three people who I just didn't get along with. And that's how nice we're going to be about that. And I'm flying with one of those guys and he's just, you know, he's just, he's, he's rubbing me the wrong way, but I'm new and I'm not saying anything. But Look, Sticks left for a minute. Get on another computer. You can talk about him now. You can talk. About oh, sweet. Oh, that guy. Um, I watched his dog for a week and he called me and go said, I had no idea how messy my kids were until my dog left. <laughs> so we're flying down in, in DC and I like, I'm from here. Like I, I grew up here, university of Maryland, Catholic university. Like I'm from, my wife is from here and he's t- pointing to stuff that I, okay, fine. This is route 95. I'm somewhat familiar with route 95. And this, this, I'm looking at the chart and you know, that, that, that building's a good landmark. Yeah. That's the WSSC building that was way over budget and they shouldn't have spent that much money on them. Right. And he gets to this point and he says, this is called G belt. And it's the entry place for this. And you can recognize it by this and this and this. And I just point and I go, that's my high school. Like I, I used to hang out with my friends on the, in the dugout there before school and tell jokes and whatever, you know, like I'm, I think I'm going to be able to find this. Oh, look, there's the house my wife grew up in. Like I'm somewhat familiar with this area. I'm seeing it from a different angle, but I'm good. So, uh, so yeah, flying in DC and, and all, I mean, all the landmarks and all the everything, um, which was cool because fast forward three years and we're doing the. NCR air defense mission, the national capital region air defense mission. And I'm on my way out at this point, but they know I love DC and they know I know DC. So I'm doing all the area familiarization for the, they're doing, they're sending pilots uh, temporary duty TDY to come and augment this mission. Cause it just absorbs uh, manpower, just absorbs people. And so I'm doing all the, all the area fams of DC. And I'm like, this is amazing. I, I love this stuff. So it worked out well for me. Well, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So anyway, yeah, so Atlantic City. That's fantastic. All right, so tell, tell us yeah. about some uh, memorable Do any rescues? water rescues, <laughs> or rescues yeah. in general. People who deal with life and death in- industries have gallows humor, and I don't think other people understand. And no. Sticks has been in, in SAR and search and rescue, and then he's in medical. Um, and it wasn't, yeah. But I, I'll say this. We stopped at... Uh, we stopped at a Navy base. Let's be charitable. We stopped at a Navy base for fuel. And it's a Navy base that's not an operational command. It's a test command. So their sense of urgency was a little less than maybe we might have liked. So it's 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, because we was a first light search, if I remember correctly. We land, and we're like, we call them, hey, can we get fuel? Yeah, yeah, because, of course, you know, once you spent $2 million sending me to flight school, you want to save money where you can. So we're trying to buy government fuel instead of going and buying it on the economy. So we stop and we land there for fuel. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's out doing a thing. He'll be here in a little bit. I'm like, dude, I got a person in the water. Like, get in the truck. <laughs> Gas helicopter. Go, uh, go, go. Fuel go. truck over here. Let's get this airplane full of fuel. Yeah, right. turns out civilians, not not motivated, mm, not, weird. not, that did not, no, I would never, I would never yell at someone like that, but I definitely felt a lack of urgency and I could not convey like, Hey man, active search and rescue case. There may be a dude treading water right now. So, um, so that was a little frustrating and we never, I never went back there for fuel. 
So I, I should have known actually on my cross country in Pensacola, we broke at that same Navy station uh, mm. for a long weekend. I spent a long weekend staring at a BOQ room because they couldn't fix a T-34 um, over the weekend. And so uh, it turns out it was the, I was some warning switch uh, anyway. Okay. So uh, yeah, so Atlantic City, uh, DC, uh, New York, um, Philadelphia. Um, I'm not saying the Delaware River is nasty, but we had a policy of not putting a rescue swimmer in anywhere north of Wilmington. Like we just wouldn't really? put a dude in the water if, and for non-operational reasons. If you wanted a search and rescue demo, you were not getting a swimmer in the water. Uh, I don't know if we were worried about the, the refineries or the um, agriculture runoff or that a body was going to bump into him. But either <laughs> way, we weren't. <laughs> We weren't, we weren't putting a swimmer in there. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great time. And I'll tell you what, New Jersey, the North, I'd only known North Jersey, South Jersey is farm country, blueberries, pine, pine forests, just gorgeous. If you've never, if you think New Jersey is Newark, there is a whole nother state out there. Um, oh, yeah. I loved it. I, and I some, can, of, some great friends from there. there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, duty standing pilot in Atlantic City. Um, search and rescue, fisheries enforcement, uh, fun thing to do in the fisheries industry. There's a huge scallop industry out there, right? Scallops, okay. you know, scallops yeah. are, looks like a clam, but the edge is ready. Brace yourself. Scalloped, right? But do you know what part of the That's scallop you eat? Ah, I know. <laughs> See, it's, it's humor and education. I bring, I'm lots of, so, um, but do you know what part of the scallop you eat? There's no telling, Deuce. Oh, Me neither, boy. actually. But it's Blips a very and, small part. No, it's, I think it's I like <laughs> I think it's the muscle, probably. I think it's the muscle or something. It's some small part. It sticks back in there. He knows things. It's yeah. some small part. So the deal is, what you do is here's what your scout fisherman's career looks like or day looks like. Get um, put the dredge in, shuck scallops while you're dredging. Pull the dredge out, empty the dredge, shuck scallops. That's your whole thing. You notice I didn't say sleeping. They take a lot of speed in the scallop industry. Now, they're not supposed to take a lot of speed, but they take a lot of speed. And when your heart rate gets above about 200, it looks like a heart attack. Shortness of breath, nausea, dizziness, the whole nine yards. So we get a radio call. 27-year-old male in good shape otherwise is having a heart attack. We jump into the helicopter, race out there. Well, the trick is, and God, where is Sticks? We need a medical person. I know, the trick right? is. He'll get back. Stop taking speed and your heart rate slows down. No so way. we pick up these, I know. So we pick up these guys who are in, I don't know, a cardiac danger. I'm not going to say a word because Sticks will come back and be like, oh no, what's happening with the heart is the air is being rammed down the co-pilot's <laughs> The ventricular um, contraction of the air. Exactly. <laughs> so the uh, are these guys out on the boat the, though? Deuce, yeah, we, these we, guys are way, way the hell out offshore. Okay. Right. And so we go pick them up in in cardiac failure basically from too fast, right? If a pump runs too fast, it doesn't do anything. Cavitate. But by the time we land at the airport, they walk out of the helicopter. Like it's a miracle. We don't we don't have a paramedic on board. Like we have a basic EMT and it's the back of a pickup truck, basically, like painted metal floor and you know, a couple of seatbelts. So uh how we work these medical miracles, it turns out the trick is for the whole flight back, he didn't take any speed. And so, you know, away you go. Sticks, what's it called when your heart beats too fast? The... Why do we bring this guy? Cut his pain. I don't know, right? 
Mike said it's so, yeah, that was sticks. He came back. He's back. Yeah. I can see him, us. but not hearing. That's like the worst of both worlds. <laughs> At least he's not translucent anymore. That's kind of nice. There's that. Exactly. All right. Well, so, 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 so you're telling me by the time you get them on the ground, uh, their, their, their hearts slow down and they're cured. And they're fine. Well, I'm not a doctor, but 27-year-olds who work in the maritime industry don't have heart attacks. You know what I mean? Like, not without some outside, uh, some outside influence. So, um, so yeah. So we 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 saved lives. We uh, we saved people um, from from heart failure just by bringing them bringing them back to land. If um, if it so were me, I, I'd guess like tachycardia or something like that. But you know, just well, I, that listen, boy, that doesn't that sound right? That does sound right. He must be. He I, should be managing. I'm not a medical. Uh, professional but i do know when you put somebody on a whirling shit can of death and fly them when they get on the ground they're willing to do anything just to stay alive at that point yeah my- including fake not not have a heart attack anymore that's right my heart my heart's fine now get me I'm off fine. this damn thing that heart i'm good get me off this death trap maybe maybe that's why they were running to the ambulance i never thought of that Dude jumps in a cab and peels away from the airport. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good point. That was, Love so, it. Uh, Love it. So, so and so, for our audience, I don't think we've stated what kind of uh, equipment this is. You were on yeah. the HH-65. 65 Dolphin. Bravo Dolphin Helicopter, a commercial product made by Aerospatial, um, nice. entirely of plastic. Nice. Uh, okay. And, plastic. Uh, one of the like one of the service-wide questions was like, where's the wood what wooden parts are on a 65 and it's like the tongue depressors in the first aid kit or some crazy no. <laughs> um, and, and entirely made of plastic and when i had it we had a hydromechanical disaster of an engine control fuel control system that would just occasionally roll back the fuel on you so you'd be oh, playing a perfectly good aircraft perfectly beautiful day everything's fine and one engine would just roll down to 10 percent. you're like hmm that's fine. That's not ideal. Yeah. It only happened to me once and I was I was lucky. Like I got out of aviation before it got boring or I got hurt. Um and so we were doing just night pattern work, just just Kevin's the new guy, practice landing at night. And so we're practicing deuce, okay, land deuce land on the numbers again. Try and hit the center line this time. And we land and it's fine. And it wasn't for the record, you jackalopes, it wasn't a hard landing. It was perfectly soft and fine. <laughs> And I was with Bay, if you remember, Sticks. So yeah. you know I'd have heard about it if the landing wasn't ideal. This, um, the uh, a very exacting instructor pilot of our acquaintance. And so, um, I landed and I looked, and it was all um, what were they called? Gosh, candy stripe lights. Those vertical, um, vertical chiclets, chiclets. It was all chiclet lights, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it was okay. two and two and two and two and two and two and two. Except I look at it and it's in double space, one and one and one and one and one. And I'm going, huh? Why is there no extra lights here? This these seem like fewer lights than before. I'm not a sophisticated <laughs> pilot, but I, I can tell when the cockpit gets dimmer. And he looks and goes, uh oh. I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. And we got to ride back in another helicopter. Uh-oh. Hold it. This is a helicopter pilot. Just said, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, uh, so I, but I, I got lucky. It only happened to me uh, on the deck. The serious, I mean, the risk was there, right? I don't, okay. sticks those. So helicopters make their money in the hover, right? But, and forgive me, you are fellow hover, 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 indeed. 
I don't know. Like helicopters are unnatural, and what you do is a sin against God. So, um, you say that like it's so, a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that. Some of some of the best times of my life have been sins. Um, so, so uh, I don't know if this is a. I don't know if this is a. So there I was interview, or I'm watching a. I'm watching brilliant stand up comedy. I don't give a shit one way or the other, Deuce, because you're awesome. Keep going. This is great, dude. So helicopters make their money in the hover, right? That's why you go through all this trouble to be able to go zero is to make is to be able to hover. Well, hovering below about 20 feet, if anything bad happens, you, you just land. I mean, you've got the stroking seat and the whatever. And, you know, I was, I don't know. I think other aircraft have this. The 65, if you hit the ground at 600 feet per minute or more, the lights come on. That's kind of the design max. Like if you got a report of landing above 600 feet per minute, and I'll tell you right now, I should have said this earlier. I am an example. I am a shining example that we have gotten so smart about training and systems and proficiency. You can take the, the Navy for all my trouble in Pensacola. Those guys could, could teach a barely, uh, they could teach a Labrador to fly. Like if they got me through flight school, they could teach a golden retriever, a motivated golden retriever, but a golden retriever to fly. So you're saying piece of cake. Piece of cake. Absolutely. Like, okay. no, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm just saying they can do it. They could get you there. I mean, you got to remember, this is the organization that produced, what, 10,000 pilots in World War II. And those guys were not, they, they didn't say, we're only a taking lot of the them actually survived. <laughs> yeah, many, many, hundreds, hundreds of survivors. Um, so, uh, lost, uh, totally lost my train of thought. So we're, um, sorry. Now I have no idea. I have no idea where he's going with this. Um, Oh, I totally lost it. Anyway, so we're uh, so I'm a shining example that that those guys can teach uh, can teach a Labrador to fly if they can get me through it. I actually went to flight school. I went to flight school with Tommy, and Tommy was another coastie, and Tommy was struggling. I mean, he was redoing flights. He was getting yelled at. He was struggling, and I remember thinking, as long as they don't kick Tommy out, I'm probably safe. And I met my winging <laughs> with Tommy. And Tommy comes up to me and he says, you know, this whole time I just kept looking at you. I know it's struggling. I thought, as long as I don't kick Deuce out, I'm probably <laughs> safe. <laughs> you were looking at each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Oh, so, that poor uh, bastard. He's, uh, Deuce, you kind of <laughs> sidestepped us here uh, a while back and you went off on a tangent. Did Were you <gasps> involved in the... We're not, yeah, but we're not. We're not going to talk about there. that. We're, we're not, not talking that about that. Just that it just wasn't urgent, is all he would all say. Right. They, they tried yeah, to get. Yeah, it wasn't. It was. Right. Uh, okay. And you know, the thing is, and this is this is true, and it is, I think, the if you are considering a career in search and rescue or emergency services, one of one of my many many uh, mentors, instructor, pilots, just fantastic people, I had the opportunity to work with, said to me early on. Uh, stay peed. But the other thing he said to me was, because the SAR alarm goes off the second you have to go to the bathroom. But the second thing he yes. said to me stay was... Stay peed. I couldn't figure peed. out what the hell you said. Stay peed. In other words, keep an empty bladder. Keep an empty bladder. Absolutely. And God forbid you show up to duty, you show up to duty with gastrointestinal distress, you are going to have the SAR night, the search and rescue night of your life. Oh, boy. But the other thing he said is there are people out there who don't need your help. They get picked up by a good Samaritan. They weren't ever missing to start with. We, we are, um, our Probably SAR easier to find them. 
Well, our SAR controllers found a lot of guys at bars. You know, they had all the phone numbers, all the local bars, and you get a phone call. Right. Yeah, my my husband is out fishing and he's overdue. Yes, ma'am. We'll get somebody looking on him right away. And he called about six bars. What marina did he leave from? Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, this is the Coast Guard. Is Bill there? I'm not screwing around. I'm about to launch a helicopter. Bill, are you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Bill, get home before I have to launch a helicopter to find you. <laughs> but there are people who don't need your help. Uh, there's a couple things. We started talking a little bit about SAR, and you had some amazing rescues in New Orleans. And we'll, we'll get to that. And that, But the other thing I want to ask you to chat about, if you would, is uh, one night where you were carrying a, uh, was it a Little Mermaid umbrella? And you and uh, Sticks wound up in the back of a police cruiser? All uh, right. So let me preface this story with saying we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary, and I still love her very much, and she still likes me, apparently. <laughs> That said, that weekend, my wife had left town and taken both sets of keys with her. I had done, I don't know, I biked to work or some stupid thing. I can't remember. And but then she called the gone. cops and asked them to check on the house frequently. And if she saw anybody, if they saw anybody. Well, we lived in a small, everything in New Jersey is by township. Everything in New Jersey is by township. And we lived in a small town with 36, 5,000, 7,000 people in this town. 36 full-time police officers. They had nothing to do. This is the nicest neighborhood I've ever lived in in my life. We bought the cheapest house in this neighborhood. Six months later, a guy bought the... Sorry, we bought the second cheapest house. Six months later, a guy bought the cheapest house, knocked it down, and built a mansion. This is the nicest neighborhood I've ever lived in in my life. So, and But we're right on a busy street. So I'm at work. It's the end of a duty day, and I'm tired, and Styx drives me home. Now, Styx... Sticks obviously grew up in a nicer neighborhood than me because I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland, and there was a difficult relationship between teenagers and the police in Prince George's County, Maryland in the 80s and 90s. And that's all we're going to say about that because some (laughs) of my friends are on the I'm back in that county and I got to live here. Um, Let's just say policing has uh, um, they're doing very well now. And I'm very proud of my my neighbors who are who are Prince George's finest. Back in the day, uh, there were improvements. There was room for improvement. So I am uh, circumspect in my interactions with the police. We roll up to the house. All the doors are locked for some reason. I have no idea why. We're not like door lockers. It's a really nice neighborhood. But fortunately, um, I had stopped by the hardware store because I was fixing the house up. And I bought a little sledgehammer. And we had a window that was still a... um, plywood window like the glass had broken in a previous owner and still plywood window or the window hadn't been installed so we try all the windows try all the doors we walk around the house nothing and then i say no problem and i go in and i pop out the plywood window and i climb into the basement and i go out and it's raining of course because it's always raining and uh um i come out and the only umbrella i can find we're all tired and he drove me home like he's waiting to um waiting to go home and I, why had you, why was, why was your son in the car? We couldn't, you couldn't have come off of duty. It must've been the end of like a work day. It must've been Friday night, Friday afternoon. Cause your son, you picked up your son from daycare or something. Cause his son was in the car and his son is great. And I love his son. His son's an adult now. And he's, I love him as if he's one of my own. He's a great kid. He had some stuff going on at that age. We all do. So he's strapped into a car seat in the back of the car. Cause he's like two years old and sticks is. Maybe he's four. He's as overprotective a parent as you could ever hope to meet. 
So I come around the corner. It's a privacy fence, six foot privacy fence. I come around the corner with the hammer in my hand and this little uh, pink princess umbrella, one of those pop up like Mary, mini Mary Poppins umbrellas. It's clear. I am looking like the picture of, I don't know, either meth or madness. And so I come out of the gate and I go, I got in, I got the door open. At least the cops aren't here. Well, <laughs> two of those statements were true. I had gotten in, I had gotten the door open, but the police had arrived. Now, fine, no problem. Um, it's my house. Like, this is not a problem. It's my house. But I'd only been there a year or something. So he says, do you have any ID? I say, this is my house. Do you have any ID? Yes, I have a Florida driver's license with a Texas address on it. So immediately he thinks Russian spy. But don't worry about it because when I, what you do when you interact with the police is you pull out your military ID because this says two things. I have, this is my identity and I have a job. You know what I mean? Like I'm one of the good guys. Like I'm probably not a professional car thief because, you know, I've got a full-time job. And so I pull up my military ID. He has no idea what he's looking at. He looks at it like I clearly printed this on my home printer. Uh, it's a DD, it's a DD one back in the day, right? The, the right, green yeah. one. Yeah, um, right. I clearly printed this on my home printer and laminated it with at the house of some scrapbooker of my acquaintance. No idea. So he says, do you have any other ID? I pull out my Florida driver's license with my Texas address on it. He thinks, clearly spy. By the way, the only car in the parking lot with these two dudes, the only car in the parking lot is an SUV with Oregon tags and dark tinted windows. So he says, hey, you need to sit in the back of the car so I can kind of get control of the situation. And Stick says, I don't want to do that. My son's in the car. And I'm like, get in the car, Sticks. And he's like, I don't want to do that. And the cop's like, get in the car, Sticks. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Little The little boy's going to watch his father get his ass kicked by the police. That's, <laughs> it's such a magical moment in a young man's life. Fortunately, uh, another officer showed up because it turns out when you've got 36 full-time cops, there's yeah. uh, somebody else on duty at that time, and they were able to interview us individually and confirm, yes, in fact, it is my house, and everybody went away, and nobody got, um, nobody got to meet Mr. Nightstick. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a magical moment. And that umbrella, I don't know what happened to it, but it ought to be in a museum somewhere because, yeah, it was uh, almost witness to, uh, to a mishap. Let's just put it that way, to a mishap. So. That's awesome. Hello, fellow aviation adventurers. As we feel the summer breeze slowly making way for the cool embrace of fall, let's chat about something that's going to be your secret weapon this season. HelloFresh. My journey with HelloFresh began while navigating the skies of culinary exploration last Christmas. A gift landed on my doorstep, HelloFresh. The first mission, pulled pork tacos with mango salsa. I'll admit I had my altitude set low on expectations. Tacos with mango? Yet by the end of the meal, my taste buds soared to new heights. The delightful burst of flavors charted a course I hadn't seen coming. And from that surprising gustatory flight, I've been a loyal co-pilot with HelloFresh. But let's circle back to how HelloFresh can elevate your culinary flights this fall. Chart your course, pick your delivery date, and relax at a cruising altitude knowing that exciting meals are on the radar. And to my fellow pilots juggling the back-to-school air traffic, let HelloFresh guide you safely with pre-portioned meals delivered straight to your hangar. Ready for a culinary ascent that'll take your taste buds to the stratosphere? Here's your flight plan. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50 so there I was and use code 50 so there I was 
for 50% off plus free shipping. That's right, aviators, set your navigational tools to HelloFresh.com slash 50, so there I was, and use that code 50, so there I was, to soar high with a fantastic half-off and free shipping offer. Landing this conversation, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Clear skies and happy dining. Sticks, are you back with us? We've seen your face here for about two or three minutes, but I think he is uh, going to have to do sign language, it looks like. Yeah, yeah I can't read lips. Ah, dude. It's sad. It, it's sad. Find a microphone, my friend. Anyway. All right. He's, well, He's working it. He's, I've seen him throw two of them now. I know. <laughs> he, chucked, he chucked one headset, pulled another one out. He's chucked that. Right. We worked with a guy who, we worked with a guy named the Bison. And the Bison's natural speaking voice was so loud, we didn't tell him the new code for the intercom. He'd just pick up the, the handset and be like, now for the information of all hands. And we'd just hear him all over the air station. <laughs> there will be a pilot's meeting. So you, you got to channel your inner Bison sticks. Where are you? Right. Just shout out the window, brother. <laughs> We're here. Oh, boy. Amazing. All right. So I teased a little bit. One significant event in life, you were in flight school during 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then another fairly defining moment for most of the country, even though it truly affected a small portion of the country, was Hurricane Katrina in the summer of, it was August or September 05. of 05? End of August, early September 05. And it yeah. was, and again, yeah. I am the mess. guy who picked up the phone. It was a mess. From a Coast Guard perspective, I am proof that Coast Guard training can put any qualified person downrange. Um, I'm the guy who picked up the phone. It is Borg and Mike and Spanky and Mako and Greg and all Irvin, all these people who just um, absolutely put me in a position to, to do something really cool. Uh, and, and I am a testament to their professionalism and their, their ability to, to, sh- to put lipstick on a pig. I mean, just, <laughs> just flight suit and helmet and away, away you go. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so we went down there, we got a call Sunday night. I think I want to say, Oh gosh, it was uh, a minute or two ago. We got a call. I got a call Sunday night when you show up to work at eight, try and be on time and bring, Everything for being away for some time. How long? No idea. Where are you going? New Orleans. What are we doing? Don't know. Okay. And so uh, it was me and Nisro went down there and uh, Troy and Josh. Uh, Troy's the flight mechanic and Josh was a rescue swimmer. Okay. Um, and, and Nisro's the aircraft commander. I was actually the, the co-pilot. I was first pilot at that time. I don't know how the how the rest of the world does it, but the Coast Guard co-pilot graduated from flight school, qualified in the aircraft. If the pilot has a heart attack, you can probably land the aircraft without killing the entire crew, and maybe we'll be able to use it again. First pilot, you're qualified to sign for the plane, but not for the mission. So you can go out and do maintenance runs, engineering test flights. If you need to get an aircraft from one place to another, you and a flight mechanic can take the aircraft out. Aircraft commander... That's the job. You're the senior duty officer. You're the you're in charge of. You can agree to the mission. You can do the whole mama jama. So I was the first pilot. Nisra is the aircraft commander, um, and uh, and we got a call. So it turns out, and this may come as a shock to you, jet guys, helicopters are incredibly slow. So what we did to get oh, and, we know. <laughs> <laughs> How is it you, That's like saying the sun's incredibly hot, right? The sun, know. sun is hot. Sun is hot. The Pope goes to church a lot for an old guy. Anyway, so um, so what they did, and 
understand that at one point, 10% of the entire Coast Guard was in New Orleans. Literally every air station sent people, aircraft, equipment, something to New Orleans. And they were stripping the Coast Guard uh, stores for, for parts because we flew the crap out of those aircraft, you know, for, for a week. Right, right. For weeks and weeks. So what they did was they got a crew to fly a helicopter to uh, Werner Robbins because they wanted our helicopter. They wanted helicopters. We had the Charlie model, which had full authority digital engine control and much better looking pilots, the whole nine yards. So they flew a 65 Charlie down to Werner Robbins. We got on a Falcon, which surprisingly (laughs) didn't catch on fire and flew down to meet them. And then we took the helicopter from Werner Robbins uh, to Mobile. That That took about a week, right? Yeah, we're still we're not there yet, actually. Um, so the nice thing about going that slow, no jet lag. So um, but we we got down to Mobile and flew. I, I did the math. Twenty three hours and four days like we flew our asses off um, and just it was it was a I don't I don't words fail me. I've been thinking about this for 18 years and words fail me. It was apocalyptic. It was a glimpse you know i'm a big history buff i worked with the coast guard historian for a couple years i like i love history i love the stories and you see it was a glimpse into that world you you see these like pictures from world war one where just the landscape is destroyed as far as the eye can see and you get over the gulf coast after new orleans and it was just apocalyptic we flew over a subdivision where it was just uh slabs just all that was left was the slabs where the houses used to be because the way a hurricane works, it rotates. Oh gosh, I'm going to get this wrong. Counterclockwise in the Northern hemisphere. So Katrina made landfall just East of new Orleans. Please, please let me remember the details. Right. And so new Orleans got the rain because the bands of the, of the storm sat over new Orleans and just dumped 10 inches of rain on the city, but you got higher winds, higher than average winds are on the east side of the storm because they've got the speed of the storm, the speed of rotation and the wind speed. So they just, that part of um, uh, Alabama just got dis- uh, destroyed. It was literally just, the perfect storm. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, just the amount of damage and trees and, and houses. I mean, you'd see the foundation of a house with a yacht in it. I mean, it was just insane uh, how much damage there was. So we went down there. We showed up at night and they said, we're just kind of self-launching. And, uh, um, and that's, you know, culturally, that's the Coast Guard. Like the Coast Guard search and rescue missions granddaddy is the life-saving service. The life-saving service was a dozen dudes in a boat, you know, in an, a boat with oars at Hatteras or um, uh, Cape Cod. And they would, it was incredibly local control. There was no central control. Yeah, that's, that's New Orleans. I took that picture. That's, that's New Orleans under three feet of water. The thing, wow. the Coast Guard deals with flooding all the time. There are groups of outstanding Coasties who do inland rescue all the time. And they've got special punt, punt, Pa punt boats that um, that they can take into no water. Shut up. Um, and uh, they deal with this all the time in the upper Midwest. And even in you get any place there's a valley, if you get a lot of rain, you get a lot of flooding. Um, and these guys are professionals and they are absolute heroes. The thing about New Orleans is it's already below sea level. So when the levee right. fails, 
it's underwater. Um, I think that's I-10. That picture you're looking at now is I-10, which yeah. is raised up. And so we, we, did a re- we did a couple of rescues off of I-10 because that's where people could stand. That's where you could be and not be in the water and where you could land. Yeah. Um, in fact, so I this, think uh, that's the I-10, I-12 junction because I see a, a Y off of there. But uh, oh, yeah. I could be wrong. But yeah, that, that stuff is terrifying. So, so for the vast majority of the audience who is listening, you can go to... So there I was dot us slash rumble and see this interview as it is re- as it was recorded. And I am presenting some pictures that do sent us and put them yeah. uh, putting them up now for everyone to see to include some bug guts. That bug doesn't have the yeah, guts to some, do that again on the some, that, yeah we that's a, a, fire a, a casualty. Um, but the, well, this is I I gave, I sent this one up because it's you know you think oh the city's underwater. Well, first off. That's like Pontchartrain that just drained into New Orleans. Yeah. That water is gross. I know exactly one person who's ever admitted to swimming in Lake Pontchartrain, and he was sick for a week afterwards. Uh. Um, but then think about what's in New Orleans. It's chemical factories and refineries. And look, I love the city of New Orleans. I love it with all my heart, the history and the music. I'm not a go to downtown and get hammered kind of guy. I'm not that's I'm not, that's never been my thing. And it's certainly not my thing at this age, but I love the city. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Just for all the food and art and culture and history. I love all that stuff. It's gross. Let's, let's be honest. When you've seen a rat the size of a spaniel swimming through the water, like hooper duper dur, here we go. <laughs> the city is gross and it is gross. And they just wrenched it out and left the pool, uh, the pool there to, to, to sit because the levees failed and, and there's no place to drain. You had to pump all that water out of there. Yeah, and when so, the power went um, out, the pumps went out, and, and when the power went out, the pumps went. And the city yeah. makes its own gravy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so nasty. You know, it was a raging debate among the Funny, rescue swimmers. You, you got to get Josh on here because he was a swimmer in Katrina and then later went to flight school. So he'll he'll have okay. some um, some oh, perspective. Nice. But uh, okay. um, the swimmers down there had this raging debate because we all have dry suits for cold water ops. We all have dry suits with the Mm -hmm. seal around the neck. It it literally keeps you dry because in 60 degree water, you have about 10 minutes before you lose consciousness and drown, Uh, which is, you know, if you're in a coast guard helicopter and you stick it in the water, who's coming for you, right? Like you're the coast guard. We got to bring somebody from someplace else. You are the (laughs) guy, right? You know, it's like when the firehouse catches on fire, turns out the fire trucks aren't that close. The next set. So, um, so they were, but they were debating. They're like, well, we should wear dry suits just to keep us safe from this stew. But it's New Orleans at the end of August, early September. If you put on a dry suit for half an hour, you You'll are going to heat. die of heat stroke. Yes. Yeah. So they, um, so they death. had a raging debate. And there's a picture in there. Um, it's, I love this picture. I didn't realize it until years later. And I was reading something about the storm. It's of our swimmer going down on the hook. Okay. Oh, let me find um, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's if you look, he's wearing his flight helmet, his shorty wetsuit, and hiking boots. Because what they figured out is their little booties that they were wearing, their little – they didn't wear their flippers because they weren't swimming that much. But their, their little boots that go with their – there we go. Um, he's going down to the water treatment plant. He's wearing hiking boots because their booties were just getting shredded. So they all just put on whatever heavy shoes they could find. Neoprene um, shoes, not so sturdy. <laughs> yeah. No, not, not so much. Um, roof. So – so that's Josh going down to pick up these four guys out of a water treatment plant. They were the overnight, they were the storm crew. Like, you know, you water treatment okay. plant, you're going to have a storm crew, but they'd never seen it this bad. We're flying by. Y'all, so we all had land survival class, right? 
What piece of survival equipment can be seen from up to 50 miles away? The mirror, baby. The mirror. That little stupid index card size mirror with a hole in it can, if you hit it just right, 50 miles. These guys took the mirror off the bathroom wall. You probably summertime now. Here's the thing. I melted your retinas with that. (laughs) Here's the thing a hurricane sucks up all the moisture for hundreds of miles in every direction. It's such a low pressure system. So the weather after the hurricane is clear blue in 22. It's gorgeous. These guys pulled a mirror off the bathroom wall and it was like getting hit with the bat signal. (laughs) They faded parts of my flight suit. Like I had a tan under my chin after these guys were done. We will come pick you up. Please, you're fading the paint. Like it was... It was For amazing. Love of God, stop signaling us. <laughs> Please, we'll do whatever you want. You can have the helicopter. You can fly it home. Just, just turn the lights off. It's the middle of the day, and I'm going blind. Vampires in space are dying. It was, it was amazing. But do you have the picture of the blue building? I, I think I do. Yeah. Do you guys this have audio on me yet? Yes, we there got you we there, go. Sticks. Okay. Welcome back, right. my friend. Welcome back. Uh, that was painful. Um, so <laughs> that sounds, sounds like Archimedes' death ray. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not convinced. Aliens were about to attack Earth, and then they saw this thing go by and went, oh, they've got high-powered lasers. We better go away. <laughs> so this, so there's, there's, see that little orange speck? That's Josh standing on the roof, and the guys, I think, are up by the door. Um, so we, the hoist is on the right-hand side of the helicopter. So hoisting is normally done from the right seat, but if you're, but the wind is coming in this picture straight at you. Okay. Okay. So we're going to hoist into the wind because wind is your friend. When you're a helicopter pilot, you know, you're a helicopter pilot. When you go outside and it's broken clouds at 5,000 and 20 knots of wind and 50 degrees and you go, what a gorgeous day. Um, so (laughs) we're facing into the wind here. Well, we actually, Nisro did the hoisting from the left seat because there's nothing to hit on the right. There's a damn building on the left. So we're, we did all the hoisting from the left seat for, for this evolution. And we picked up, we got their pictures. We got four guys. They're all four sort of middle-aged dudes smiling. Um, uh, but we picked up, those were, they weren't our first rescues, but they were our first, they're probably our first in the city of New Orleans. Wow. Uh, we picked up a couple people before that. We picked up a woman and her eight-month-old baby. Like, she was out of formula. You know, you don't realize how close you are to the, you know, to the edge until something happens and, and you're stuck. You know, uh, we right. picked up a dude. There's a, if you got a picture, there's an o- older gentleman with a chainsaw and he was a retired firefighter and he just wanted gas for his chainsaw and to get to a place where he could help. And we picked him up out of his house and took him to the firehouse. And, and he was out, I bet 10 minutes later, cutting up trees because the road to his house was blocked. He couldn't get out of his house. There's there a damn tree across the road. And I don't, I don't mean the kind of tree that the guy with the chainsaw is going to just pull out of the way, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, we picked up those dudes. And so what we were doing is you would pick, there he is, that guy, what a, look at him. He is going to do some stuff. You know what I mean? Like that guy, he is he unfazed. He just needed gas what for a his chainsaw, right? He just needed to get back into it. And I, yeah. he, you he know, I was like, back in the fight. I remember looking at him and thinking he just had everything destroyed. I mean, I didn't go to his house. We didn't stop, you know? But he just had everything go and everybody, he, all his neighbors and all his friends, and he, he has turned two. And if he can do it, you know, right. then I better, <sighs> I better be able to cope. So 
So we get there and we pick up the, the four dudes out of the, um, so there I was getting blinded uh, to death. <laughs> um, and uh, we pick these guys up. And what we would do is we would pick them up. Hoist equipped aircraft would pick people up from the city of New Orleans and go to Lakefront Airport. And the Lakefront Airport had been just destroyed. Um, there was a, it suffered significant damage. There's water all over the place and the tower is broken, all that stuff. But uh, the Navy was running um, non-hoist equipped aircraft to ferry people to, I, I want to say Baton Rouge. I don't know, to ferry them out of town, to get them out of town. Because a 65 is about the size of a large pickup truck. Honestly, not that large. So, um, so we're only picking up two, three, four people. Um, so we, you know, that's, you're not sending that, uh, and hoist equipped aircraft are, are, are the, the limiting reagent. If you want to, if you remember your chemistry, that's, that's the, 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 the limiting thing. So we just needed to get people to a place where they could get transferred to a larger aircraft. And then, then some big iron would take them and, uh, and, and get them sort of into the, the, um, uh, back to high ground, system. Baton Rouge, 12 feet above ground, sea to, level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we picked, we picked those guys up The the first couple days were just crazy. We all told we hoisted 48, 49 people. Um, and one thing I was very, I was very lucky. I was very fortunate for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and one thing I'm always, I'm always a history buff. We knew early on Nisro knew early on, this was going to be a big deal. This was going to be historic. Nobody had done this before. So we, and we were very fortunate. We had two public affairs specialists, an officer and an enlisted member at the air station. You had to walk by their office if you wanted to go anywhere. And I, I was friends with those guys. You know, they, I work, we worked together. They made sure we always had a camera. We always had a video camera on board because the Coast Guard story is a great story. And I respect my brothers in the DOD services. I do. And I respect what you do. And if you don't have... If you don't have an armed force, you don't have a country. You know, you can't, you, you don't get to have a country unless you can defend its flag. If you are in the army and you're in your hometown paper, probably something bad happened to you. Well, you, you got know? that right. Well, if you're in the Coast Guard and you're in the paper, your mom picks up the paper and you're on the front page, you probably did something spectacular. You probably did something. She's going to get six copies of that paper and show all her friends. Yeah. So that's our crew. That's, that's. <laughs> me 50 pounds ago nisro troy and josh um co-pilot pilot flight mechanic rescue swimmer um in order and that is a section of the sign that says coast guard air station uh aviation training command mobile uh that had been um uh, torn apart by the sign or by, by wow. the storm um wow. yeah just that's a good just picture a, though yeah what it looks like I saint mean, goo ftgu <laughs> 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 exactly the i mean when we got there we went into the ops you know every every coast guard pilot goes to mobile once a year for uh recurring training you get in the simulator and do the stuff you can't do anywhere else and so we're all familiar with mobile and we got there and we went into the ops space and there was raw sewage on the ground like it had been destroyed they were running operations out of out of the bottom deck of the first floor of bottoms hall the the enlisted barracks because it was a room. It was a room that was dry enough. It was a space that was dry enough and had room. And we had just gone to a computerized flight record system. <laughs> nope. We had paper copies, the, the white oh. sheet, the yellow sheet, the blue sheet and the pink sheet. And, uh, um, yeah, there, there's operations. Um, just, just a bunch of dudes. That's late in the game when we had like computers and power and stuff, power came back, dry to, floors yeah, and <laughs> power came back to mobile just a day or two later. Um, cause, cause, so we come back 
We come back after a second day of flying and it's hot and we're gross and we're exhausted and we're just in that fatigue. We get back to the hotel. They, we, the, everything was full. So the hotels out in town were just like, we, we'll take you. So we, the first couple of nights we're eating MREs and yeah, there's our flight. There's our flight software right there. Whiteboards and magnets. Um, we're eating MREs. Um, so we get back to the hotel and the lights are on. And as one voice, we go, reconvene in 30 minutes. We're going out to dinner. We're going to get some real food. We go out to, so we all rent through the shower, cold shower, don't care, jump back in the car. We go out into town. Well, by now the sun has set. It's curfew. We're getting questioned at every intersection. And of course, everything's still closed, dummy. You can't run a restaurant that's been, you know, without power for four days. You can't just open up the next day. So we're driving around, nothing, nothing, nothing. And we're driving back to the hotel and Troy says, I can't believe I washed behind my nuts for this. (laughs) 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 And I will forever. I thought I had a couple good titles there, but uh, oh man. (laughs) I will forever be thinking of him standing there in the shower going, are we going someplace nice, like nice, nice, like wash behind nice, you know, or is it just like, you know, so yeah. Uh, but power's back. So power's back in New Orleans relatively, relatively quickly. Um, but we, gosh, we got out there. We were picking up people off the roofs. The thing that breaks, that broke my brain or nearly broke my brain is just the scope of it. I mean, the Coast Guard is a retail service. We go out and pick up a dude who thinks he's having a heart attack. Sometimes he is having a heart attack. But, you know, we pick up a dude who's been injured. We pick up, you know, I got busted uh, doing rock, paper, scissors for a hoist a few years later to pick up seven people out of there, five people out of a um, uh, a pleasure boat. We pick up one jet skier who stuck his jet ski in the mud. Like, we, we're a retail service. And you get to New Orleans, and we're all monitoring... Omaha 44 was like, uh, might've been an air force, something big overhead. I don't even know. We're all monitoring, uh, the a common frequency and they are just calling out any available aircraft. There are three people on the roof of a house and such and such any available aircraft. There are 47 people on top of an elementary school, any available aircraft. There's a medevac at the Superdome, any available aircraft. And you're just, you have to listen. But it was it was exactly like that for eight hours, and you just it's just, God, I mean it's been so. What years. was the uh, what was the air traffic density like in that? My uh, I had a friend who flew uh, Cobras in the Marines, and he was talking about flying down there. He said it, he his uh, description was as close to a beehive, a human beehive, as you can imagine. Can we say elbow to asshole? Can we say that on the podcast? Because it was, did. it was, it was, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the pattern. And early on, there were fewer aircraft. Later on, it got denser and denser. But the thing about New Orleans that stuck with me, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not an instructor pilot. I'm a 1500 hour guy. I barely qualified for a bunch of different things. But the parts that were normally pretty straightforward were really hard. And the parts that were normally really hard we're pretty straightforward, like hoisting over the sea, over the water. The, the toughest thing I think I ever did as a Coast Guard pilot on the regular was rescue swimmer operations in the open water at night because there's crap for visual references. Your choices are have the floodlight on and have some light or have NVGs and have a horizon. Pick one. You don't get two of those. And, and there's no visual references. The only reference is the sea that you're blowing from hell to breakfast. So, you know, 
there's just nothing out there. Well, over New Orleans, you're hoisting over land. I mean, all flying is challenging. Hovering a helicopter took me a really long time to learn. Again, caveman lawyer. <laughs> they can get anybody through this thing. But over land is pretty straightforward. The thing is, making the approach... New, nothing is underground in New Orleans. There is not a subway. There is not a buried power line. There is not a cable TV line. There isn't buried. They don't even bury the bodies underground in New Orleans. Like, right. Nothing is underground Great. in New Orleans. Yeah, that's true. All that. Yeah, they're all ab above ground. <laughs> you think? Yeah. You think I'm not telling the truth? I'm an attorney. I don't lie for free, Fig. Um, so it's power lines and obstructions and towers just everywhere. And you are constantly just head on a swivel because I don't know how I'm going to get in and out of these places. The, do you have the picture of the old guy? Yes. How are we doing yeah, for time? I don't want to like. We're, we're good. We're about, I'll, I'll look here in a second, but. Uh, you got about four, you got about four seconds left. Yeah. Oh, God tried to kill me. Shoot. <laughs> so if I recall correctly addresses and some of the distress calls that were coming in were coming in via text message and with a physical road address, which then had to be plugged in in the opsend to Google Earth to be converted into a latitude and a longitude that the helicopters. Could oh, yeah. Work with. I mean, you're just we I don't know that we ever went to a lat long. We went to some apartment complexes. We went to some points on a map. And I will take a minute. I will rather than tell a story about how go awesome to the Gentilly, fifty seven hundred Gentilly Boulevard. Well, <laughs> so one it's thing that was amazing to me, as much as that, fun as it would be to tell another story about how great I am, camera back on me, um, is just the seamlessness of operations because I never saw any of that. I would get a position and a point on a map and a go. That was it. Like there was a whole organization to put me on target. My dumbass at 50 feet over some apartment complex. How did I get there? I don't know. How did I know there was a person there? I don't know. Not my job. There's some lieutenant at some op center who picked up the phone and did all the work and figured it out. Have we seen this one before? Where is this? Are there people there? And and sent, what's the right asset? And sent me and I, and we went and picked people up and we picked people up out of wow. apartment complexes like garden style apartments off the second floor. Um, here, here's the old guy right here. We picked that guy up off Route 10 and he tried very hard to kill us all. And he, he appears to be in his uh, 70s or 80s. He's got an oxygen cannula in his nose. He's surprisingly Did dangerous. Did he come on and start thrashing around? Well, because he looks pretty tame in that picture. Yeah. He looks a little distressed. He doesn't look like a water buffalo, like he's going to throw your CG off or anything. He does not look like a water <laughs> buffalo. I don't think Kevin's heard the water buffalo. Story. You know the water buffalo story out in uh, Sea of Japan? No, it was a TMK, Vietnam. TMK. Don't pick up They escorted a water buffalo onto an H-34, and that was fine until about 2,500 feet, and then the water buffalo decided to get up and walk around. We'll get to Rottweilers in the back of the helicopter in a second. That guy, we went to Route 10 and picked up a group of people, and Nisra was flying. He did the takeoff, and we flew away. And we dropped off the people. We went back. So what we'd do is we'd... Get up, get to Air Station Mobile, grab an aircraft, fly to New Orleans, do search and rescue, refuel at New Orleans, belt chase, 
more search and rescue, refuel at New Orleans, more search and rescue, refuel, go home. Because we have a bag limit. You're only allowed to fly so many hours. And we would drop off the helicopter, give it to another crew, and sometimes literally hand it to an, like, land, get out, high five, it's clean, through flight inspection and go. Um, we, there were, I don't know how many aircraft there. Did you leave the motors turning no. or did you shut down? We shut it okay. down and they do a through flight inspection because we were okay. flying the crap out of these aircraft. So the, right. the Tupper Wolf is entirely plastic, right? And everything's laminated, everything. Every, I can't remember, 10 or 15 hours, you had to do a tap inspection. Not me, like qualified people, mechanics, um, had to tap the tail rotor blades to make sure they weren't delaminating. It's just every 15 hours of flight, tap, 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 tap. We're doing that to make sure you tap, 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 to make sure that the, the laminate isn't coming apart because I don't know, I guess that's bad. I'm not a mechanic. Um, we were doing this test. Well, it sounds bad. Yeah, it does. It sounds bad, doesn't it? I don't know. Um, never had it happen to me, as you can tell by my still being alive. So they were doing this test every day or twice a day because we were flying the crap out of these things. I, got, I remember getting back to Mobile. There must have been, I don't know, 50 aircraft down there, 75. Like Coast Guard aircraft just converged on New Orleans. I remember being on the ramp and seeing three helicopters. Nothing was sitting on the ground. Nothing was sitting for maintenance. Nothing was wow. sitting for lack of crew. They were turning and burning. If it, nothing sat, no piece of equipment sat. And the logistics and the organization to make that happen just broke my brain. Just amazing. I overheard, I was at New Orleans getting like a sandwich or something. Um, and I overheard two guys talking. Uh, and they were, they were talking to like the Air National Guard guy or something because they said they're talking about fuel bladders and we can bring a c-130 in and we can put three fuel bladders on a c-130 and each one carries this many hundred gallons or whatever and the guy says you know if you get me a runway for 45 minutes i can bring in a tanker and you'll have all the fuel you'll ever need <laughs> i was like mm, that's, that's, and just the, the, to get that going to get that moving right because i don't know how much fuel a jet uses but it's a hell of a lot more than 2200 pounds which is max max bag into 65 so, you know, um, I think I taxi and use 2,200 pounds, <laughs> exactly. but that's right. <laughs> so I've got a, I've got a really good stat here that I think speaks volumes about what the Coast Guard accomplished in Katrina. So um, the Coast Guard actually has credit for saving more than 33,500 lives. And they also then helped uh, people in, in peril that were considered. So these people were not in risk of dying, but were. So they were pan, 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 not mayday, mayday, mayday. <laughs> right, exactly. Another 24,135 wow. and medically evaluated 9,409 people for a total that's more than 60,000 people. Yeah. One hoist so at a time. There was a cartoon, right. a, a political cartoon that went out because around this, around, I think it was actually after Katrina, but so you had the Super Bowl and the Saints went to the Super Bowl. And, right. but there was a, uh, a picture of a Coast Guard helicopter hoisting somebody out of New Orleans, and it the caption underneath said, uh, "You know the uh, the real New Orleans Saints." Yeah, and yeah. you know, I've, I've got that somewhere. I'll send it to you. Pete, repeat. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that on the show. One of the things that you know, and hit on this, and that's you know what makes. Uh, everything work so well for the Coast Guard is our search and rescue controllers. These are the guys in the OPSEN who are, you know, putting together our search patterns, our search plans. Um, and, you know, by the time, if we're working a complicated case, we get back and, you know, they've already got the next plan or next uh, search for us to do. They, you know, they know when we're going to run out of gas half the time before we do. Um, 
And, you know, we're, they, they do, I mean, quite literally, the Coast Guard has written the book on search and rescue. Right. Oh. Oh, and the, awesome. those guys, a lot of those guys in Atlantic City were retired Coasties, retired station COs. So they would call the boat stations and they'd be like, you need to go look here. Because they knew, they knew everything there was to know about Barnegat Inlet. And they'd been in that area for 15 years and they knew. And it was, um, and it was amazing to watch them work. They're so, such professionals. And just, that's what I mean is there's so much thought and there's so much, um, professionalism and experience and research and work that's gone into putting a, a rescue basket, you know, next to a person and everybody says, Oh, we got to get the pilots. No, no, no. You don't understand. Like <laughs> I'm a Labrador that happened to get selected for flight school the year that they increased the pipeline and increased the obligated service. So nobody else applied. So they took everybody except like a one eyed guy. And I think a dude who already had his first DUI and was getting out of the service. So <laughs> no, they took no. him. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. so sticks is off. here. <laughs> so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so you know, there's so much, um, there's so much professionalism and skill, and and the amount of research and effort that's going into this, and there's no, um, there's no substitute for that because we would just be. We would just be wandering around in the dark, and there, there's just no way to express uh, how much that means. Now, I will say one thing, which is there's a time in regular SAR, they want you to be off the ground and sort of be 30. You want you to be off the ground in 30 minutes, and that's SAR, get the call, check, get the call, um, check your weather, get the mission, do all the comms, get in the aircraft, pre-flight, start, fly, uh, 30 minutes. So I get back one day from a flight, and I don't remember what was happening. But the search and rescue controller says, I have you off the ground at, I don't know what time, you know, let's say we got the call at, at, uh, at 0800. I have you off the ground at, at 32. And they said, no, we got off the ground at, at 29. He says, no, I have you at 32. I looked at the clock and I go, well, you're looking at a GSA spec, lowest bidder, subsidized industry, piece of crap, government issue clock. And I'm looking at a GPS that if it's off by a second, I'm 186,000 miles out of position. So we're going to go with my clock. <laughs> and that was the last time we put 29 on the form. And that was the last time we had to talk about that. So, nice. um, so anyway, so this guy, this gentleman, um, and I, I wish him well. Uh, I don't, I never, I never met him except that one time and I wish him well, but we go, we land on I-10, Nizro's flying, he takes off, we drop off a bunch of people and we go and get gas. That's important. Okay. And we land back on I-10 and we pick up this gentleman and a couple other people because, because I-10, this part of I-10 is above the water. So it's like an airport, right? And my plan is I'm just going to go straight up. We're just going to. High, ho high hover our way right out of this. Because we're, of course, it's New Orleans, so we're surrounded by power lines. Um, and so my plan is to go straight up. Well, we get up to about 30 feet, 39 feet, one rotor disc, right? And that's it. We're, we're done. There's no more up happening with the amount of engine power we have when it's 100 degrees outside and a full tank of gas and we're full of people and, uh, and there's no wind and nothing. Yeah, but at least so it was humid. Yeah, exactly. So my next plan so there I was, was to, there I was. So there I, my next plan, which I failed to brief, was to accelerate into effective translational lift. Now, here's the deal. Helicopters like clean air. Hovering is dirty air because you're in this air that you've been turning over and over again. So what happens is 
And this is something I learned at Bob's Roadside Helicopter Academy. You can accelerate right towards the trees, and then you hit that clean air. You get to 10 or 15 knots, you hit that clean air, and you just suddenly get a lot more power, and you jump into the air, okay? So you're accelerating along the ground at six feet off the ground, and then, bloop, away you go, and you take off like a rocket. Um, so that's my plan. I don't think it's really like a rocket. <laughs> North I just Korea. want to tell you both. Good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> did he say? Did you say North Korean rock? <laughs> I didn't say nothing. So we're accelerating towards the power lines, and I've failed to brief Nisro or any of the crew on this. And in order, Nisro figures out first we're not going to make it. Now I should tell you we flew when we went down to New Orleans. Pilots stayed together as a pair. But flight mechanics and rescue swimmers rotated out. We flew our first day with the flight mechanic and rescue swimmer that we brought. And then all other days we had different crew. Coast Guard standardization is very strong. There were no problems. These guys were great. I'm not going to mention any names because I'm really mad at one of those guys. And I'll tell you why in a second. So we're accelerating towards certain death. And Nisro figures this out significantly before I do. I still think I'm going to pull this out. He goes, no, we're not. He takes the controls and makes executes a sharp uh, left-hand turn. And we fly, I swear to God, between two light poles. You know what I'm talking about? The street lights that are yeah. surprisingly they large. Hangover if like one, yeah. The hangover like that. The hangover like that. They're yeah. surprisingly large when they pass through your cockpit window. All right? Oh, we weird. fly past this thing. I could have changed the bulb. All right? We have a minute of silent conversation where he says, you nearly killed us all. And I acknowledge that. We're flying quietly. He's, I think I have, he's got the control still. I've got, I can't remember. We're just flying straight and level and not talking, which by the way, if you're ever air crew, that's a bad sign. Yes. <laughs> Pilots who don't talk, want to talk about themselves, something's going wrong. And after about 45 seconds, the flight mechanic goes, that was so cool. <laughs> And we would have thrown him out of the door. <laughs> if I had been back there, we'd have float tested that SOB. Oh, my God. I have never been so close to wanting to kill a man. So, yeah, that old guy, that old gentleman, I wish him well. Um, apparently, he looks like he weighs about a buck and a quarter, but uh, apparently substantially more. So that was that. That's also the. Did he come out of the seat? Did he start? Did he? Did he try to grab the co collective? What, what do you mean? No, no, no! Just that I tried to kill us. Uh, it oh. was not, in fact, his fault. It was my fault um, oh, that I, I tried to I fly us all into power it was, lines. It was his his mi the mission that he was yeah. Goose was flying okay. for this guy. You know, yeah. is actually okay. what led to it. What about so, yeah, but I'm still holding him fully responsible. Yeah. What about so, Rottweilers yeah. in the back of a helicopter? What? What? So what? I, I love dogs. And dogs, dogs are important to your mental and emotional health. And I'm not the, I knew that people weren't going to take dogs in shelters, particularly. And, you know, New Orleans, the people we picked up out of New Orleans were the people who wouldn't leave and the people who couldn't leave, either due to health or economic circumstances or whatever. And the reality is at the end of the month, sometimes people's, people's money gets tight. So they were just stuck. They didn't have whatever. Yeah. So we are picking up people out of garden style apartments in not the best economic circumstances. Well, they want to take their dogs. Now, I love dogs. I've got 
two dogs, a main dog and a backup auxiliary dog to steal a line from Dave Barry. And, you know, they're cute little adorable whatevers. But you're you're in the ninth ward. These are Rottweilers. Like these jobs have a these dogs have a job, and the job is to keep people from stealing your stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So we're like, what are we gonna do? And we're talking about it. And because I'm, you know, I mean, it's no water buffalo, but that's a small helicopter, and the important parts of me are very close to the cargo area. (laughs) So we talk about it because I don't want to. You know, these are pets. These are people's emotional support. I don't want to tell them you got to leave your dog. You're not coming back here for a long time. Like, I'm not going to tell you, you got to abandon your dog. So what we decided is, is we'll take your dog, but the door's staying open. And if that dog looks at me crosswise, it's going to learn how to fly. He's going to learn how to fly. (laughs) And I can tell you, I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not an animal behavioral specialist, but a 90 pound Rottweiler on a painted metal floor, nothing in evolution has prepared him to go 120 knots, 500 feet over the water. He was as docile as a lamb. (laughs) We picked up a couple of them, two or three dogs, and every single one of them was just like, why don't I just sit quietly here and say nothing? Yes, that's a good idea, puppy. Why don't you sit there and say nothing? Because these were smart dogs. (laughs) He's not sticking his head out that window. (laughs) So we didn't, uh, yeah, we didn't have any problems with the dogs. We almost delivered a baby, but no dog problems. No dog problems. So, yeah. That's oh amazing. Oh, my gosh. That was, that was a minute. That was a, minute. God, it was a long time ago. I'm, I'm not certain. My, mother, my wife knows the story about the power lines. I hope she doesn't listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, honey. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> we came back from New Orleans and uh, two pilots, two of the senior pilots pulled my wife aside. She came to pick me up from work and they pulled her aside and said, look, man, we don't know what happened down there. Like, keep an eye on him for a couple of days. And she was like, hey, you, uh, you OK? But um, yeah, and All some right. people some people did, in fact, have real struggles. Some people really, really had some PTSD <laughs> and some critical stress issues. I fortunately uh, have no emotional uh, capacity, and so I was able to get through it. Nice. Uh, well, we're we're near ninety minutes in, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. And if you don't have one, then we'll move to something else. But I actually have a, I guess, a non flying but a Coast Guard lawyer question for you. What is the funniest or strangest or weirdest case you handled as an attorney in the coast guard what's the what's the wildest thing that came across your desk oh i can't believe oh i was not so I, I i've got one from an investigation that i got tasked with if you get stuck okay oh and, and you're gonna you know exactly which one i'm talking about so i will tell you this and then i'll well, let's I just want names, you go ahead. addresses, dates of birth, uh, social security numbers, nothing identifying. Well, I'll tell you something small, and then I'll, okay. I'll let sticks go, and then I'll tell you something that is just a good thing to end a show on. Okay, there but, we go. So the Coast Guard is small. So it happens all, like, there are so few attorneys in the Coast Guard. A few years ago, I went into a training. Like, there's a big, we got a big conference room at headquarters, and it can be divided into a bunch of small rooms, Right. A bunch of medium-sized rooms. I'm going to this training. I walk into the room. I'm a few minutes early. I know. Sticks is like, you early? I'm a few minutes early. There's 10 (laughs) people in the room, and I don't know any of them. I walk out of the room. This is not the room I'm doing training in because you can't find 10 Coast Guard attorneys that I don't know. That I don't know at least one of them. You would have to handpick folks out of the West Coast or whatever. So whenever two Coasties meet and they – 
you look familiar. You play this little game where you're like, where do I know you from? Were you ever stationed in New Jersey? Well, did you? Did, 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 did. So okay. that's what Harrier pilots always do. Right? That's exactly every small community yeah. is this way. I know Ooh, you from somewhere. East Coast right? or West Coast? It's, it's, the, it's the three degrees of the Coast Guard. Yeah. Absolutely. That's seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but three degrees of the Coast Guard. So I run into this woman. I can't even remember where I was, but I run into this. But there I was talking to this woman, and we're playing the old Coasties game. Where do I know you from? Were you ever here? Were you ever in aviation? Did you ever do this? Did you ever do that? And she says, Were you ever on the Coast Guard cutter Gallatin? And I know where I know her from. She was a witness in a court-martial of this guy who firmly deserved his big chicken dinner. Big chicken dinner is bad conduct discharge. You've been court-martialed and kicked out of the service at 19 years. That's how angry the jury was with him. You don't get a retirement. Goodbye. Thank you for playing. But she was a witness. And I. so we kind of go, she says the name of the boat. And I go, Oh, and we just turned and walked away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Enough said. So I'm guessing Enough she said. wasn't a witness for the... Uh... <laughs> she was a witness of the prosecution. And in fact, we, we chatted a minute. We talked, yeah. but it was like, you know, there's some people you meet and like, I want to keep in touch with that guy. And there's some people you meet and you're like, we are going to go our separate ways. Yeah. And I, I wish her well. She, she was in fact key. Uh, if she ever hears this, she was key to getting the conviction because nobody believes the first complaining witness. Um, even though the stuff she was a victim of was not, we did not get, she was key. She was okay. uh, a key part of the prosecution and I appreciate her you know, being willing. I mean, it's really, it's awful. Like being a witness in a criminal prosecution when you're the victim is just an awful experience and uh, stressful. And I really appreciate yeah, her, her stepping forward. But I, let's just say we don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk. We, we're not sending Christmas cards back and forth. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, sticks. So, so there it was. And uh, I am on. I get tasked with an investigation for something. And what it turns out, what happened is there was a small museum that was in one of the towns near our air stay, and they had this very nice painted fiberglass pirate statue, and it got stolen. And then it turns <laughs> I would out, immediately that, interviewed this like. This. <laughs> so it turns out I'm, get, I'm going to get this information and I find out, okay, it turns out that actually one of the members at our air station actually stole this pirate. Um, it had, no it was surprise. bolted. It was bolted to the ground. It's a six foot tall fiberglass statue that basically looks like Captain Morgan. And the whole idea that this guy had was to have a Captain Morgan party. So he backs his truck up throws the pirate, you know, knocks it off of its mounting, throws it in the back of his pickup, drives down the road, puts it in his apartment, and a day or so later orders pizza. There was a big newspaper story about this fiberglass statue that got stolen, and he, the pizza delivery guy looked at the delivery boy, sees the statue, (laughs) or sees the fiberglass, you know, and he's like, oh, so he puts one and one together. Well, the fiberglass statue is like completely damaged. And now I'm, I have to figure out, and the museum is telling me it's a one of a kind thing. You know, this is where do we, where are we going to get a new one of these and how are you going to replace this? Right. So, you know, I'm now going to, well, I'm just going to deal with this next week, taking a long weekend with the family. I go down to, uh, you know, I think we're down to North Carolina or somewhere and go into, walk into a restaurant and there in front of me, is a six foot tall fiberglass pirate statue that is exactly the same as the one that was stolen. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> so how one of a kind is this thing? And then we sit down and I look at the restaurant or looking at the history of the restaurant and the restaurant burned down. 
And so all of, and I see a note in here, all of the furnishings have been replaced. So they're all brand new. So now I'm going, all right, now I feel really dumb. Google's kind of new. So I go and throw in six foot tall fiberglass statue pirate. And there, lo and behold, is you can order to the tune of probably around three or $4,000, a brand new pirate fiberglass statue. So I come back, you know, Monday or Tuesday and I walk in and I, I've got my whole investigation closed. All right, here's our plan. You're buying a new fiberglass pirate for the, uh, for the museum. And Hey, here's the bill. Here's where you can order it. <laughs> and this, the CEO's all got my ad on this too. Nice. So, so they got so, yeah. their one of a kind statue back. The guy got exactly. off for a few thousand dollars oh. instead of a court martial. Right. Somewhere there's a Coast Guard mutual assistance loan application that I really <laughs> want to see. Right. Why do you need four thousand dollars plus shipping on an emergency basis? Uh, I I thought surgery. you were gonna six. I thought you were gonna say I'm on my way out the station to go do this investigation, and I walk by this six foot tall fiberglass <laughs> pirate in the entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, uh, Deuce, because I feel like I've done a core workout uh, <laughs> Absolutely. because I've laughed so much, and I probably I, needed that, really. There, right. was, there, was not a, there was not an ops briefing that I would go to where Deuce was there that everybody just was generally. not leaving laughing their butt off because of some – and he would just – it just, you know, random comment here or there, and, you know, his, he'd kill you. That's beautiful. Oh, that's a grand old time. It's fun to. Yeah, that was. Uh, thank you for your service, both of you, Sticks. Well, all three of you, Sticks and Big and Deuce. Thank you for well, your service. You Thanks there, for coming Ricky. on and spending yeah. some time together here. This has been awesome. This has been awesome. Lots of folks watching on Rumble over at Sleroos.us slash Rumble over on YouTube. That's a long, complex one. I'm going to have to get a YouTube forward. I will do that soon. And then even on Facebook. So we appreciate all the folks that are joining us during the live recording session. And so when you hear us talking about the pictures and you're listening to the audio only, I will try to embed them at the appropriate place in your podcast catcher. Like, say, for instance, on the iPhone podcast or Overcast, something like that. You should be able to see the photos as I stick them into the show. But that, that's the plan anyway. Got a couple other thank yous we got to head out there. First of all, uh, if you are watching the live stream and you see a beautiful orange sunset and an AV8B Harrier, that photo was taken by none other than Brad Silcott at BDS, Bravo Delta Sierra, aviationphotography.com. Some amazing photos, and he's allowing us to use them on our website. We really appreciate that. Can't tell you how much we do. Let's also thank two of our newest uh, patrons, Patreon pilots. Uh, one, we uh, busted his chops last week about his name, and then I completely Master. forgot to honor. Yeah, Master. <laughs> he uh, he wrote in, and he, he is donating to the show in uh, honor of his son, Lieutenant Tom Bates, United States Air Force, who is uh, a FAPE. First assignment instructor pilot at Randolph nice. Air Force Base. Tough, tough duty, but someone's got to do it. Randolph, are you allowed to go back to Randolph, Fig? I, I, I've been banned from the base. Yeah. <laughs> Put your fake mustache on. You'll be fine. The good news <laughs> is his picture's in all the post offices. That's exactly right. <laughs> I can't go to Barksdale Air Force Base, and I can't go to Randolph. Don't. I hate when that happens. <laughs> 
And additionally, he also uh, did it in honor of his father, who recently passed. Uh, yeah, and that was uh, Staff Sergeant. I'm looking for the name here. Here we are. Staff Sergeant Rick Bates, who was with the 47th Bombardment Wing in the United States Air Force in Europe. So oh, thank awesome. you to him for his service. We honor that, yeah, and yeah. we're grateful for that generation. That's outstanding. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And thank you to our other pilot Patreon supporter this week is uh, Patrick McLeight. Thank you for stepping up, Patrick. If someone comes up with a call sign for McLeight, let me know. I don't know. Heavy? I got heavy. one, but I'm not going to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not say Wimp. We'll talk and we'll say it offline. I there don't you go. I like put it in the Thank intro. you, Patrick. I'm not going to do it to you because the gut, it was, it was, it just, as soon as I heard it, I went, oh. I don't exercise, uh, control very often but i am right now yeah i'm shocked shocked i tell you <laughs> that fig <laughs> has exercised that personal control here right oh my goodness uh we've got a merch store up there i've been uh, drinking out of my my beer glass all evening here so uh yeah nice. right. some other good stuff you had a t-shirt the shirt i'm wearing yeah. what's your favorite item on the store there fig uh, the bikini right right i got fig. my wife and my girlfriend one. There you go. That sticks did too. <laughs> just, just don't let them eat. They're not <laughs> ever going to meet. Wives and girlfriends, <laughs> right on. <laughs> so we have we've only got two like, folks. I, here's what I want you to do: S- take a picture of whatever location that you may be listening to our show in, and send it to us, and we'll get it up on the uh, we'll get it up on the website. Make yourself make yourself famous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so some, send us we photos. Have, we have some guys who listen to the podcast on Mount Fuji. Up on the top of Mount Fuji. From the top of Mount Fuji. That's awesome. So send us one from wherever you might be listening to the show. But more importantly, share the show. Put it up on Facebook. Put it up on Twitter. LinkedIn. Wherever it is. Give us a link to our show. Share it. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Yeah, share the show. We're growing. We're growing like crazy, and we appreciate all your help. But keep sharing because... That helps us keep the engines running and bringing the show back to you. And visit our sponsors. Uh, this week was uh, HelloFresh. Love HelloFresh. Or go give them a look-see there at HelloFresh.com slash 50. So there I was. And take advantage of that discount. Man, I'm loving that. Action for you to do, need you to go to podcasts on Apple, iPhone, and iPad and give us a five-star rating. Count them five. Not four, not three. That's for other shows. We want five. We only five. want five stars. And give five. us a nice review. We just cracked 100 reviews, I believe. All good. Not a negative one in the bunch, uh, you know, because I'm able to delete those. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. If only I could. No, can't delete the negative ones either. But, uh, no, please give us some good ratings. Then we got to get some thank yous out there. Fig, uh, any you can think of? Yes. That. That right there. That. Wait a minute. Yes. That's not it's one. The, it's the two, as in dose, dose guys, gringos. gringos, that make the Air Force sound good. The dose gringos. Thanks for letting us use your music. And and thanks for your music. Yeah, thanks for your music. I yes. laugh listening to it all the time. It's great stuff. Here, here. And then there's Dave Hamilton over at Backbeat Media, who gives us all our sponsors and takes good care of us. He's got the Mac Geek Gab, the Gig Gab, and the Business Brain, and a bunch of other great shows sponsored and hosted by Backbeat Media, as are we. Thanks, Dave Hamilton. 
indeed. So be well. Well, I think I think we're we're not outnumbered, but we're at least uh, evenly matched here. So some advice uh, next till next week. Maybe you have some there, uh, sticks. Oh yeah, don't let go of the collective. Don't do it. Reflate your mic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't sit on the ejection well, There I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was no way. Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Hey, what do you say? He said it's over. Uh, it's over. <laughs> okay, that's a lawsuit. <laughs> Counselor, we may need you. <laughs>